Hello, and thank you for sharing some time with the National Small Business Association to talk about where we are in the coronavirus crisis and where we go from here. Recent NSBA data shows that nearly one in every two small business owners is not confident in the future of his or her business. Our goal today is to provide some real-world advice and solutions to help you and your business survive the pandemic and come out stronger on the other side. I'm Molly Day here with NSBA, a staunchly nonpartisan organization fighting for your small business. Today, we're going to talk with NSBA President Todd McCracken and Marilyn Landis, owner of Basic Business Concepts, a company providing CFO-level advice to small firms. We'll also hear from Gary Brand, a partner in Brand Furland Advisors, a business consulting firm. Gary is also an education fellow for Florida State University School of Entrepreneurship. We'll also hear from Bob Shea, an attorney with the national employment law firm Ogletree Deacons. Bob, Marilyn, and Gary, thank you for joining Todd and me today for this conversation. I'd like to first start with a quick recap of where things stand with today's economic outlook, state and federal reopening plans, and the latest round of funding for the PPP and IDLE lending programs. Todd? Thanks, Molly. We're in a strange spot now, aren't we? Uh, we uh, the economy is still uh, largely shut down for most companies, although more and more localities and states are starting to roll out plans for reopening companies and beginning trying to reopen the economy and think about how we can deal with, uh, with controlling the virus. But, you know, we had some relatively bad news from an economic point from several sources over the last week and a half from our own internal surveys. We did a, a survey of the small business community and found that uh, almost all, over 90% of companies are deeply concerned about the economic impact this is having. 80% of them say they're seeing a, a consequential reduction in consumer demand. That's up from just 49%. I think just 49%. That was high. But 80% from 49% in just, uh, in just a three-week period uh, in terms of lower consumer demand. And uh, nearly half of companies, and this to me is the most troubling stat, nearly half of small companies say they are not confident about the future of their business. Because, of course, small companies, by their very nature, small business owners, by their very nature, are optimistic. They get into business because they believe they can they can make a difference, they can grow a business, they can provide a good or service uh, better than someone else. Um, and to see that level of pessimism, I think, is troubling. Now, all that said, we are beginning to see, I think, signs of people using a lot of ingenuity to, to get their businesses back online, developing plans for what they're going to do when this passes. So I think that's a passing phase. I think we will uh, use our can-do to get back uh, as soon as we can. But the other bad news, of course, is we saw the saw the economic numbers come down, which showed a, a decline in the, third, in the first quarter GDP, which we didn't want to see. We expected. We knew it was going to happen. Uh, and we think it'll be an even more of a drop uh, the second quarter. But I really think for the first time that we're in, a, we're in a spot where people are beginning to look ahead rather than behind us. So I think that's what most of our discussion should be about. Great. Thanks, Todd. I'm curious. We've heard a bit in the news uh, about big publicly traded companies getting money through the PPP program. Can you expand on how big you think the problem is and any other relevant data on the program to date? Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a big problem in the sense that it's really discouraging for a small company that hasn't even been able to get in line for a loan to see these companies that don't, at least in theory, need the money uh, or not need the money as much as they do or perhaps weren't intended to receive the money, you know, get in line well ahead of them and get much bigger loans than they're getting. And so that's, that's dispiriting and it's, I think it's wrong. But if you look at the size of the program overall, uh, it's not, it doesn't appear to be a huge, huge problem in terms of crowding out other small companies. 
Um, more what we have seen, I think, from the first tranche of, of PPP money is that the company, the small businesses that tended to be a little bit bigger, had more established relationships with banks, have had an existing lending relationship. They got in line first to get the loans. Uh, and whether we thought that was right or not, that's what happened. This time around, a lot of those companies already got their money. Um, and there have also been some new uh, restrictions put in place by both uh, the new law that was passed, but also by Treasury and the SBA as this is rolled out to try to funnel that money more meaningfully to the smaller institutions and to the smaller companies that are their clients. And it seems like it's working. Even with the old PPP, we saw the, the average loan size decline dramatically toward the end of the pr uh, period where the program was operational. I mean, just in the last two days, it went down from almost a $250,000 average loan size to just about a $200,000 average loan size. And now this week, so far, the now that money has been available again, the average loan is now down below $100,000. And that's within complete data. We think it's actually a little bit lower than that. Uh, so clearly what's happening now is there are a lot more loans being made to a lot smaller companies. Uh, and hopefully the businesses that, that really need the money that were that were kind of shut out the first time around are finally getting seen and, and, and getting the assistance they need. So, but that's sort of from a macro perspective. Uh, all that said, I think, you know, it, it'd be good to hear a little bit more detailed analysis of what's going on and how how small businesses should navigate that. And we're uh, we're pretty lucky to have on the line uh, Marilyn Landis, uh, who, if you've listened to these podcasts, you've heard from her before. She's one of the most knowledgeable people around about uh, about not just SBA lending, but small business finance in general. She has a background in banking, but for the last you know more than a decade, has been helping small companies you know navigate these waters that through CFO services and other things. So. Really lucky to have Marilyn here, and uh, Marilyn, what, uh, what more can you tell us about what's going on out there? Thank you, Todd, and it has been a very interesting landscape as it has changed. You had mentioned that those who had long-standing relationships with their banks often were put to the front of the line. What I have found firsthand from clients that I'm talking to, the length of your relationship with the bank didn't matter. It's how big your relationship was. Some of our clients who had 20-year relationships with their banks were put at the end of the line and did not get the money, even though they were some of the first to apply. So much of the frustration comes from feeling betrayed by the bank they had a relationship with. Some of them have come from misinformation. The bank itself is trying to be helpful, but perhaps not clear. However, because, and I think this is the biggest factor that has changed things, the fact that many, many more lenders were brought online has enabled the small businesses to move to those who have the time, the capacity, and the interest in processing smaller loans. And as a result, one of my clients got, on the second time around, he got approval within eight hours. And it was a very, it was a small business and a small loan. So good things are moving forward in the second round. But what I'm seeing now that people are beginning to get their money, and the ones I'm talking to are often the ones that got their money in the first round, it's now in their bank account. Under the new rules, they're required to start using it for eligible purposes in, within the day of closing. So disbursement date, it starts, and the banks are required to disperse within 10 days. So whether they're opening or not, whether their state is opening or not, the clock has started to tick on their payroll. And a couple of things are surfacing. When they applied, they applied for the maximum they could get. And I've had numerous calls with my clients and non-clients over the last few weeks. They applied for two and a half times their average payroll in 2019. In some cases, their 2020, even under good times, may not have as much payroll in it as 2019 did. Or simply the fact of saying they borrowed against two and a half times payroll, that's 10 weeks, 
They're now being measured against eight weeks of payroll. I've done the math with four clients in the last day and a half. Three of them are going to have an issue. That eight weeks may not equal 75% of the amount that they were approved for. Now, the bill allows them to apply the remaining 25% toward things like rent, utilities, and interest on loan. Client, I just did the calculation with a few hours ago. That's not going to be nearly enough. So the conversation is now shifting to, well, we've been approved for X amount. Should I spend it? What will happen if I spend it on other legitimate business needs? Uh, for example, things that are now required to reopen, deep cleaning, protective equipment, masks, protectors. Will that be forgiven or not? We're still waiting for the guidance on that. So the good news is the money's going out. Businesses are getting what they applied for. Now the real hard part is being sure they spend it correctly. Thanks, Marilyn. Gary, I know you're very engaged in this space too. Any insight you've heard from your clients as to how this round of lending is going so far? And do you think we're anywhere close to matching the overall demand slash need for funds at this point? Uh, a lot of our clients have had some success, particularly with regional banks and smaller banks. Seems to be that the relationship with the banker is the key. I, I had a client with a strong relationship with his banker and my client turned in his PPP application on a Thursday and the funds were deposited in his account on Monday, um, while others are waiting weeks or sometimes more. The second part of your question, are we close to matching the demand? Well, my view is that there's an almost unlimited demand. Every business with under 500 employees in a single location is allowed to apply for PPP. Now, per the SBA, uh, there's about 30 million businesses with under 500 employees. So the first go around, there's about 1.6 million PPP loans made and, and close to another half a million are being made shortly. That totals to about 2 million. It seems like there's a lot more room for con congressional funding to meet the demand. Thanks, Gary. Now that we're up to speed on where things stand economically, I'd like to adjust our focus on what's ahead. Todd, I'd like to toss it back to you because one of the key things we as an organization are trying to do is ensure that we look not only at the coming weeks, but the next six months and maybe even the next two years. Can you walk us through the unique role small business can play in the near and long-term recovery efforts? Thanks, Molly. Yeah, I really think the small business community not only plays a unique role in our economy overall, but I think can play a really unique role as we move out of this crisis. Increasingly, I think some of the smarter governors are assembling small business task forces specifically to advise them on, on how to move forward, on, on how to open businesses, uh, on what standards should be. For, uh, for moving forward. I think that's really wise of them and we would encourage other governors to do the same thing. Uh, here at NSBA, we're trying to put together some thoughts and principles in that regard. And we have a, a couple of surveys in the field and we're working specifically around a few key pillars about the future. And that is, uh, we're looking at the, at the near-term regulatory enforcement environment for small companies uh, and, and trying to see if there's some areas that the government could specifically be helpful in easing up on some enforcement during this critical time. Trying to look at, we've been talking a lot about lending, but all the lending we've talked about so far are these, are these programs designed to fill this, a gap of economic activity. But hopefully we'll reach a point where businesses will move more into sort of normal operations and be thinking about even growth again. But what do the credit markets look like for that? Will, will, will credit markets be available to, uh, to, to support that growth in the future? And how much will that hold us back if they are not? How can we make sure that we are creating safe work environments and also creating uh, that, that feeling of confidence and safety in both our employees and in our customers as we move ahead? 
And uh, but all those things are only possible if we really can begin to reopen. So one of the things we're looking at is how can we design more targeted solutions so that uh, even if some workers or parts of the country or kinds of businesses have to remain closed or limited operations for a while, does it follow that the rest of the economy has to as well? Are there ways that we can begin more targeted solutions, more targeted openings that can keep folks safe, but begin to, to expand economic uh, activity? Um, and then finally, what can we do to, to, to stimulate broader economic growth? And are there some specific things that, that we can initiate now that will, will give us a jump start as we begin to move out of this? Um, uh, and those could be anything from uh, new tax reforms to uh, infrastructure plans to, to other other ideas that we're, we're debating. So we hope very soon to come forth with some uh, some ideas. And I, if uh, you're a small business owner listening to this and you have ideas, we want to hear from you and tell us what, what we can do and how we can help. Great. Thanks, Todd. On that note, I want to hear from you, Bob, on what it means to be an employer today, as well as what it could mean under some of the various reopening proposals that have been offered up. Um, this is you know, probably an easier conversation for folks who can telecommute easily for their job, but for manufacturers or restaurants or hotels, how do those businesses deal with bringing employees back to work? And, and before I get started, Bob, I, I do want to let you know that in addition to being the, uh, the chair of our Health and Human Services Committee and a preeminent legal expert in employment law, Bob now holds the record for most podcast appearances here at NSBA. So um, truly, Bob, thank you for all your time, and I'll turn it on over to you. Well, thank you, Molly. It's a pleasure participating in these podcasts with you. So, yeah, this is an evolving process for employers and how they deal with uh, employee issues. There are many considerations that and steps that need to be taken as employers reopen and bring back employees. And I could say that uh, most of these things are not things I, were, I was taught in law school, nor things I learned in my first 30 plus years of practice. Uh, I'll review a few of the most important ones. And uh, first of all, it's make sure your place of business is ready to bring back employees or to increase the number of employees that you have working. Make sure you've taken steps to uh, permit social distancing between employees, which might mean placing limits on occupancy, might mean shifting furniture or, or equipment uh, to permit social uh, distancing, placing appropriate signage and instructions to employees, providing disinfectants. And these are some things that employers did at the beginning of this pandemic, but uh, as employees are brought back, it's it's even more important that they make the, the workplace as safe as possible and encourage safe practices among employees. And, you know, consider providing facial coverings or masks for employees. And depending upon the state uh, or municipality in which you do business, that may be required. Uh, I'll, I'll note in this regard that last Friday, April 24th, the CDC issued a new guidance titled Reopening Guidance for Cleaning and Disinfecting Public Spaces, Workplaces, Businesses, Schools, and Homes, and it's available on the CDC website. It's an excellent resource, and uh, employers, businesses should follow all steps that apply to their workplace. Another step is you should evaluate how you go about choosing which employees are being called back. You know, it's easy if you're just bringing all employees back. But if you're going to make some choices, selecting certain employees, you're going to bring back others you're not, you have to be careful and make sure that those decisions, those selection decisions are lawful and also that they can be easily defended if, if challenged. You know, employees not selected to be returned could claim that they uh, that you considered their age or their childcare responsibilities, maybe disabilities or uh, susceptibility to, uh, to infection. 
and or whether or not they had already exercised rights under one of the uh, the laws that are available to them, including the Families First Act and seeking paid uh, paid leave. Uh, you should also consider, and this is a big issue, how to deal with employees who do not do not want to return to work, at least not now. And uh, you know, some employees may have an ongoing have ongoing childcare issues due to school closings and unavailability of childcare. Uh, they may prefer to keep receiving the enhanced unemployment benefits because the fact of the matter is that with the extra six hundred dollars per week that employees on unemployment are receiving under the stimulus legislation. Some employees are making more uh, or as much money anyway as when they were employed. So they uh, they have a financial incentive to remain uh, unemployed. Uh, Some employees may have safety concerns. And this is the one I'm hearing most expressed to uh, client employers, especially uh, including risk of infection. And this is a tricky issue for employers. Uh, employers absolutely have the right to recall employees who have been laid off or put on furlough or or terminate them if they refuse to come back. However, when an employee has a good faith belief that he or she would be at risk, the employee's refusal to the return to the workplace might be protected under uh, OSHA, under uh, National Labor Relations Act, perhaps, or under state law. So if an employer is going to insist that employee that a particular employee returns and that employee raises safety issues, the employer should at least make sure it has taken all appropriate safety measures, including following the CDC guidances. And I think the last point I'll cover is another hot issue in, in my area, and that is what steps you may take, what safety measures you may take when you bring employees back in terms of testing. We're hearing a lot about temperature checks in, in recent weeks. And uh, that is permissible. The EEOC has really loosened its standards in terms of the type of test that you can uh, apply to employees now as a result of the pandemic. And temperature checks are generally okay. There are practical questions like who will take them? Do you need a medical professional? You certainly would want someone that's trained to do it. What type of technology or method do you use? What do you do in terms of record keeping? Do you keep testing logs? The answer is generally Yes. Do you keep them confidential? Absolutely. Because if all these tests are permissible, they're still governed by the Americans with Disabilities Act requirement that medical tests and medical information be kept confidential. And uh, I think that's about all I have time to cover right now. Thanks, Bob. It's a lot to think about, but certainly not too soon to start the conversation and start making plans for what's next. And speaking of which, I'd like to have Gary share with us some of the key things small businesses should be doing now to prepare for the next six months, the next year, and possibly even the next two years. Are we looking at a new COVID-19 business plan? Well, of course, loans are helpful, particularly forgivable ones, but I would urge every business owner to realize that loans are only one tool in their survival strategy. So there's two initial steps to consider. First, determine how many weeks till you think your business or industry will start to rebound. I've heard anywhere from two weeks to nine months from various business owners. And second, project the actual funds that you will need. I I have found that many business owners are not doing that and are more focused on the maximum PPP loan without projecting their future needs. Regarding the second question you posed, what other steps can be set up to be on the better side of the pandemic when it's close over with? Well, during the pandemic time, you'll have some opportunity to focus on a few key areas. And the, the most important one is to uh, focus on your key customers. Now, let's define key 
that would certainly be where a small number of customers are responsible for the majority of your profits. And they're easy to recognize. They're the ones that buy and buy again from you. They're not sensitive to, to prices and they're a pleasure to deal with. So spend your shutdown time finding out what their concerns are, what their changes in their services and products uh, are needed, how collecting from them will fit uh, into to what their business will do when they emerge from the shutdown. Your goal before the pandemic is to own your customer's business cycle. And that is the same goal during and after the, the pandemic, to own their business cycle. So not easy, but doable. Thanks, Gary. I think having it all laid out like that will help. And uh, now perhaps the even less easy piece is uh, financing. Marilyn, can you talk about financial health and what things small businesses should be doing today, six months, one year, and even two years down the road, as well as what they should not be doing? Absolutely, Molly. And all the points that Gary raised have financial implications that they need to be thinking about. First, they've got reopening issues. And those were hit on, Bob covered a lot of them as employers. Those have a cost. Where's the money going to come from to cover that cost and the cost it has for accommodating its employees, which <clears throat> most employers want to do anyway, but now there's a cost associated with that that they may not have had before. Second, as both Gary and Bob have indicated, the landscape has changed. Gretzky used to say, you don't skate to where the puck is, you skate to where it's going to be. Therefore, many of the businesses I am talking to have been pivoting. They've anticipated what that customer is going to look like and they're changing their business model now they have new expenses, things that they may not have had before, or the priorities of those expenses have changed. All of this is for growth. All of this is positive. All of it is for recovery. Plus, they're going to need cash to regrow the trading cycle, particularly if they give terms, net 30. They're going to have to wait 30 days to get paid once they start doing work again. So all of that will take some type of funding. I heard a marketing person say, well, give discounts to get your clients back. Problem with that is you're reducing your profit margin. So you'll have to look carefully, as, as Gary had said, project out what your cash flow, is that going to cover some of your growth growth needs? I think businesses will find that funding will be difficult. If you think about being in the shoes of the lenders, they've already stretched pretty dramatically to put as much funding as they can out through the payroll protection program. They traditionally want to see historic cash flow, positive trends, none of which are happening. So the small business owner against the traditional bank underwriting would be difficult. I wouldn't be surprised if the banks aren't given some leeway, but until that happens, the business owner is going to have to find and look toward more alternatives. There's some really interesting stuff surfacing from the alternative market, addressing specific niches where they can get their arms around the credit and feel careful extending money to those industries who were damaged by COVID but have great potential for recovering. So I would encourage the business owners to stay positive, stay optimistic, think, look at the recovery, figure out what they need, and look for people who specialize in their industry. Great. Thanks, Marilyn. I'd like to turn now for some final thoughts from each of you, um, Bob, Gary, and Marilyn. Um, Bob, let's start with you. Do you have any final thoughts? Sure. I can have, uh, share three final thoughts. Uh, first, I recommend that employers communicate with their employees. These are difficult times. Uh, many employers don't know exactly what the future holds and uh, maybe are fearful of communicating to employees because they don't know what message to send. But I think that it sends the, the wrong message if there is simply no communication with employees right who are on the sidelines right now, on leave, uh, collecting unemployment. So I'd say to, to businesses, communicate with the employees about what's going on and what the, what the plans are, what the, what the expectations are. Number two, uh, be careful in those communications. Don't overpromise. 
don't make promises concerning uh, return dates that might not be kept or, or promises concerning job security. You know, be careful about what you tell employees about their, their future. And uh, thirdly, and this is somewhat related to uh, number two, and that is beware of the, the likely wave of COVID-related employment litigation. Whenever there's big events like this, there's always some trailing litigation uh, from you know people who have been adversely affected by the, the situation, lost their jobs, run out of the enhanced uh, unemployment benefits, think that they may have been treated unfairly or maybe discriminatorily. So, you know, be careful, keep that in mind before you make a decision to terminate an employee. Uh, keep in mind the wage hour laws. You're not going to get a pass on them uh, six months from now if someone brings a claim stating that they weren't paid their final wages, including any old vacation time. Uh, so, you know, be careful. That's great advice, Bob. Thank you. And Marilyn, how about you? Any final commentary you'd like to share? Optimism. Uh, the vast majority of the business owners I am talking to have been talking about recovery. They've been talking about coming back. But the hard part is their survivors. They've already been through a really difficult time, and now they've got to be brave enough to go back to business 101 and write a plan. They probably haven't done that maybe in decades. They need to write a plan so, to Bob's point, they can communicate to their employees, their vendors, and their customers where they see the future and what risks they see going there so they can get everybody involved in mitigating those risks. They're gonna to need to determine what their cash need is and stay confident, look for sources that are gonna fund that. It's that ability to stay on top of it and understand what your landscape looks like that's gonna get them through this. Also, all the business owners listening to this need to remember, small business is one of the most agile, nimble business models out there as a result, we will run circles around the others, and we should be confident in that. Thanks, Marilyn. Um, let's kick it over to you, Gary, and uh, tell, us, tell us what people should be thinking about. Sure. Molly, I think there's one more item that all business owners need to keep their eye on. The PPP loan proceeds that are forgiven are not taxable. However, there is a question if the related expenses are deductible. Under the Internal Revenue Code, no deduction is allowed if allocable from exempt income. So in plain English, if you did not pay for it, you cannot take the deduction. We are waiting for the IRS to issue guidance on whether or not PPP expenses are going to be, written, be able to be written off. Thanks for that, Gary. I'd like to turn it over to you now, Todd, for any final comments and uh, hopefully tell us something good. Yeah, thanks, Molly. And I, would, I think my closing thoughts, I'd really like to build on what Marilyn talked about, and that is the importance of planning. And uh, it really is time, I think, to begin to plan for the future. The key is for any company to do that is to think about what the future is. And that is so murky right now, and I understand that. But I think companies that are, that are well-networked, um, that are reaching out and looking at what their competitors are doing, uh, what folks in their supply chains are doing, what, what's happening in their city or locality, what's happening with the broad trends in their industry, can really, I think, begin to make some pretty clear assumptions, if not on a week-by-week -week basis, but on broad trends overall in their industries and see where things are going. And if you can build a plan around that, you're going to be so far ahead of, of much of the market. And I think a lot of companies will be able to exploit opportunities they hadn't even seen coming. Um, so I really think the small business community, if they do those things, are really well positioned to grow into the future. And I think we can't lose, lose sight of that. So doing that scan of your, of your environment 
and taking the best ideas that are out there, trying to bring them into your company, and having a convincing plan about how you're going to grow revenue around that is going to bring lots of opportunities. It's going to bring uh, other organizations and entities you to partner with. It's going to bring uh, lenders who will, who will see your vision and want, to, and want to invest in your company. And I, I really think that if, if a company does this right, they should see some opportunity here. Obviously, that doesn't apply to everybody. Um, some, some companies are going to have a tougher go over the next few months than others. And we don't know how strong the overall economy is going to be. But what I am confident of is that with the, with the nimbleness and the innovation that is inherent in the small business community, we're going to lead the way. And I really think it's time to turn our attention to that. And uh, we can't forget about dealing with the current crisis and forget about dealing with the virus and our, our, uh, the difficulties it's imposed on employees and all the rest of that. But on top of those things, I think it now is time to think about how we recover and grow. And I think that will come. So I, I hope folks can leave this on, op, on an optimistic note. Uh, I certainly am beginning to turn to an optimistic frame of mind. So, uh, so with that, I, that's my final comment. So I really appreciate everyone else being on with us today. And Molly, thanks for organizing this. Thanks, Todd. That is definitely a good note to end on. And with that, thanks again, Bob, Gary, and Marilyn for joining us here at NSBA. And thanks to our listeners for spending a few minutes with NSBA. We've set up a COVID resource page, which is accessible at our homepage, nsba.biz. We're posting new updates, legislative interaction, useful government resources, and much more on this page. And please follow us on social media at NSBA Advocate. We know this is an incredibly difficult time you're facing now, and we want you to know that we're in this fight with you. Stay safe and stay healthy.